If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I certainly hope that you do, would you please take them out and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, you know, as we flip the calendar, as we, we start fresh with this new year, I want us to consider this morning what is one of my absolute favorite passages in all of Paul's writing, and it's a passage that I believe is very appropriate on the first Sunday of the new year. And, and I, can never, I can never read this passage without I go back and then I'm reminded and I think about my first day in boot camp. It was July the 13th, 1987. I was awakened, rudely, I might suggest, <laughs> at 5 a.m. by the sound of two very large metal trash cans being thrown across a tile floor and being bounced like they were basketballs by two of the meanest men that I had ever met in my entire life. One of those men derived great joy by going and finding a broom and taking the broom handle and just banging it on the inside of that trash can for what seemed like an eternity. And they yelled at us and called us things that were just, I can't even mention. They used language that would make a sailor blush, except they were sailors and they weren't blushing. <laughs> and finally, after all of us, 80 of my closest friends... Uh, we assembled ourselves on a long yellow line that was painted down the middle of the barracks. And once that happened, everything got deafeningly quiet. And all I could hear was my heartbeat pounding in my ears and the clicking sounds of the shoes of one of those men as he walked up and down that yellow line, staring at us menacingly. His name was Chief Petty Officer Caldwell, and he was my company commander. Chief Caldwell walked up and down that long yellow line. He informed us that we were about to be issued a new set of clothes. We were about to be issued the uniform of the United States Navy. He told us that what we were issued would be everything that we needed. Therefore, the clothes that we were now wearing would be obsolete. We could take them off, we could bag them up, and we could be rid of them because we were in the Navy. We no longer had any need of civilian clothing. His message to us very clearly, straight out of the gate, was that old clothing rendered obsolete by the issue of a new uniform was the order of the day. And what I want you to know this morning is I think that's a pretty good insight into the passage that we're going to read this morning and what the Holy Spirit would have us to understand from God's holy word. Begin reading with me in Ephesians 4. Verse 17, is there we hear the word of God. Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, 
who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. It's for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for how it declares to us that we who are a part of your body are new creations. And because that's the case, you declare that we are to live in a new way. And your Holy Scripture testifies to that. And your Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives as a result of the truth that we've just read. Now, we pray that we would be attentive to your word this morning, that we would drive out distractions from everything that's happened in our lives up to this point and things that we're concerned about that's going to happen in the future. And that for these few moments, we would concentrate on your holy word and what your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Bring conviction in areas of our lives where we need to turn things over to you. And we need to loosen our grip on certain facets of our behavior. Not so that we can earn your favor, but because we have already earned your favor through what Christ has done. So I pray that you would do this for your glory and for your honor and for our good. In Christ's name, amen. I like what Warren Wearsby has written uh, when he begins discussing this particular passage that I've just read for you. He says this, he says, The Bible was written to be obeyed and not simply studied. And that's why the words are written here that Paul writes, therefore and wherefore. And that's why those words are repeated so often in the second half of Ephesians. You see, his point is that in the first half of Ephesians, Paul has declared some amazing things that God has done on behalf of his children, on behalf of believers. In fact, listen to some of the statements that we read in Ephesians, the first few chapters there. Ephesians 1 verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, we read this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, we read this, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In Ephesians 2 verse 13, He says, In Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 19, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now I want you to know, in light of of such wonderful revelations that, that Paul has written in the first three chapters of his letter, he goes on to state what we ought to do. He goes on to state, to put it another way, how we ought to behave in light of such truths. In fact, that is the the way the second half of the letter beginning in chapter 4 really begins. And it leads us to the first point that I want you to note on your outline this morning. The first 
point simply is this. Paul issues us a call to walk worthy. There is the call to walk worthy. Notice what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now here's what I want you to know. Walking worthy is one of Paul's favorite metaphors for how he talks about how the Christian life is to be lived. He used it in Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 where he prays for those believers and he says that he, he prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He uses the same metaphor again in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. He instructs those believers to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now what we have to understand, what does he mean when he says to walk worthy? What does that mean? Well, obviously such a command means to conduct oneself and to conduct one's life in a manner that is suitable for or worthy of the salvation with which they have been blessed. In many respects, that is what Paul has been communicating throughout the letter of Ephesians up to this point. In fact, back in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul has already reminded the believers there of, of the way that both he and they used to walk before they came to faith in Christ. Beginning in verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul reminds them that they had once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air. He tells them that they had all once conducted themselves in the lust of their flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And the reason that they had walked this way, the reason that they had lived in this way was because, as Paul tells them, they were by nature children of wrath. In fact, two separate times, Paul says that they were dead in their trespasses and in their sins. In other words, Paul says that they all walked the way that they did because they were lifeless, dead pawns of Satan and they were under his dominion. And what I want you to recognize is that Paul's description here of the life that both he and these Ephesians led before they came to faith in Christ is an accurate description of the lives that all of us led before we came to faith as well. In fact, such is an accurate description of all humanity apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, mankind is dead and hopeless and lost. And to that end, let me say this to you this morning. If you have never humbled yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you've never confessed your sin and trusted in him to save you and to forgive you from that sin, then the Bible declares that you are dead and you are hopeless and you are lost. And you may say, well, I feel alive. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm breathing and my heart's beating, and I'm going about living my life. And I would say to you, that all may be true, but there is more to life than just the physical. John Stott has written this. He says, there is a sphere which matters supremely, which is neither the body nor the mind nor the personality, but the soul. And that sphere of the soul, those who do not know Christ personally, if they have that, they do not have life. In fact, he writes this, he says, 
They are blind to the glory of Jesus Christ. They are deaf to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They have no love for God, no sensitive awareness of His personal reality, no leaping in their spirit toward Him, no longing for fellowship with His people. They are as unresponsive to Him as a corpse would be. So Stock concludes, therefore, we should not hesitate to affirm that a life without God, however physically fit and mentally alert the person may be, is a living death, and that those who live it are dead even while they are living. I want to say this to you this morning with all the seriousness and all the gravity that I can muster. If you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is an accurate description of you. Apart from Christ, you are dead, you are hopeless, you are lost. But the good news of the gospel is that if you will humble yourself before the King of kings and before the Lord of lords, and if you will repent of your sins and you will place your trust in Him and in Him alone, you will be saved. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes the good news this way. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, he writes these words, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want you to know that is great. That is wonderful. That is magnificent news for sinners like you and me. And if that is your testimony, if such a transformation has occurred in your life, if you have been born again, and you've been raised from your dead state to the point that you've been made alive in Christ. Well, Paul goes on to make the point that a line has been crossed. He says a metamorphosis has taken place. In fact, in his second letter to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. In other words, in a very real sense, we who are believers, we realize that we have been issued a new uniform. We have been given a new set of clothes. And Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation and He has given us new marching orders. We therefore, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, he tells us that we are to walk in the newness of life. That that, friends, is what it means to walk worthy. And that brings us to the, consider the specifics of our passage this morning. Here in Ephesians 4, verse 17. You see, Paul clearly states there that we are no longer to walk. We are no longer to conduct ourselves. We are no longer to live our lives in the way that we used to before we were saved. In fact, our lives should be sharply differentiated from our former lifestyle and from the world around us. And in light of that command, Paul goes on to, to present a description of what our lives were like 
before we came to faith in Christ. In fact, note the second point on your outline. We get a, a picture here of what the old life is like. You'll notice in verse 17 that the primary way in which our lives are described before we came to faith in Christ is a state of emptiness. Paul uses the term Gentiles here as a way of describing those who remain estranged from Christ. And he says of them that they walk in the futility of their mind. This, this state of futility or emptiness is really a state of being without use or value. It is a state of purposelessness. The word used here is the same word we find repeated again and again and again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. It is a word that is translated there as vanity. And what we recognize, as one commentator has put it, is that life is vain and futile and without purpose unless it is ordered around God and around His purposes. And then going to verse 18 of Ephesians 4, Paul traces this problem of empty, futile living back to its source in, a, in really what is a devastating spiral or really we might call it a, a deadly game of dominoes. Paul tells us that Futile living results from living in a state of darkness. Paul says they have their understanding darkened. And that results from living in a state of alienation, which means, he says, being alienated from the life of God. And that results from living in a state of ignorance, through the ignorance that is in them, Paul writes. And finally, it results from living in a state of blindness or hardness of heart because of the blindness of their heart, Paul says. Now, if we just reflect on what Paul is saying here, we realize that this domino effect that he's just shown us actually reveals that our hearts, hearts which are insensitive to God and remain that way, they actually set off a chain reaction of events that ultimately turn out the light of God in the life of an individual. Light that, that when that light goes out, it leads to a life of emptiness and meaninglessness. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 of that passage. He says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, listen, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Right there, you, that's the blindness, that's the hardness of heart that he's talking about. And he says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which have made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. But, listen, it came futile, futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts we're darkened. Here's what we need to see. The futile way of walking is fueled by a darkened heart. And it is seen best in verse 19 of Ephesians 4 because there Paul shows us what the natural outcome of that is. Paul describes it as a life that is past feeling. A life that is given to lewdness given to uncleanness, given to greediness. The description of past feeling literally means to have become calloused. It's the only time that word is used in all of the scriptures. 
It means to be calloused. It, it means to cease being able to feel pain, to become dead to feeling. It's as if because they continue to reject God and to reject His way, that they now have become, they have an impenetrable shell around them that renders them insensitive to God. A few years ago, one of my girls was sitting with my wife in the chair, and she asked Caroline why, why, she, why she couldn't feel something rub across the top of her foot, but, but she, could feel it, she, she could feel it rub across the top, but she couldn't feel it when it rubbed across the heel of her foot. And Caroline went on to explain that when we're, we're born as babies, that our skin is very tender and very soft and very sensitive. But then as we learn to walk and as we begin to walk across the floor, that our, our, the natural part of our body, the heels and the pads of our foot begin to, to build up uh, an immunity to that sensitivity and actually thicken up. And that thickening up of the skin actually allows us to walk. And what I want you to know is that calluses are good on the bottom of your feet. Calluses are good on your hands if you want to work with them. But calluses that build up around the morality of your heart are devastating to you. You begin to not feel the implications of sin anymore. And you become immune to all of those things that constantly shove themselves at you. Consider the callousness of our culture today. In my lifetime alone, I can see where our culture has become so affected by the influences of those whose understanding has been darkened that we now accept things as normative that was once called an abomination. We have become so self-indulgent that as a culture we have become desensitized to things that break God's heart and are ultimately devastating to us personally. And I want you to know that is, that is what makes this passage here in Ephesians chapter 4 just as current for you and for me as it was for these Ephesians. Because what Paul tells them is this. He says, we've got to put the old way behind us. We've crossed the line. We wear a new uniform. We're on a new team. We've been given a new life. In fact, that's the third point that I want you to see. Note it on your outline there, beginning in verse 20. Paul goes on to describe the new life. In verses 20 through 24, Paul provides a, as strong of a contrast as possible between the life of distortion which these believers used to live and the renewal of the mind that has come in Christ. And he reminds them of what is formerly true and now he says this is what is currently true. And in light of that fact that they had been saved, Paul points them to Christ. And he reminds them of the things that both he and Timothy had taught them concerning Christ. Paul means more than just, just learning facts about Christ. Anyone can learn facts about Christ. He says, you have not so learned Christ. Not that you've learned about him, but that you've learned him. In other words, he's become yours. You belong to him. You've put him on. He's talking about the conversion that has taken place. And this becomes clear in the way that Paul employs the use of three infinitive phrases that ultimately show what believers were taught. Not only what they were taught, but, but also reminds them of the actions that ought to come along commiserate with what they were taught. You'll notice in there, if you underline or highlight in your scriptures, these are, these are great ones to underline. 
Verse 22, the infinitive phrase there, put off the old man. Then you have it in verse 23, you have be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then in verse 24, you have this infinitive phrase, put on the new man. Put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man. Now, many commentators and theologians have concluded that this is very probably an early baptismal formula that reflects the change that occurs in the life of a new convert. It's very similar to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Paul says there that we shouldn't lie to one another, and then he gives the reason why that's the case. He says, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 6, you read this. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? As a result of that, Paul says, knowing this, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we no longer be slaves of sin. And then he says this in Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27. He says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul's point in these passages is that when one becomes a believer in Christ, the person that they once were before Christ saved them has died. And now a new person has been created by the power of the resurrection. They have put on Christ. Consequently, a lot of their new identity, a new person, must live in a totally new way. To use Paul's words, they are walk worthy of the calling with which they have been called. I've shared this illustration before, but it bears repeating this morning in light of the text. When I was stationed in Japan, I had a roommate who wore the same uniform every day. What I mean is, is he would come home from work, he would take off his shirt and his pants, and they typically dropped right, at, right wherever he took them off. Some of you raising teenagers know what I'm talking about. They, they just dropped right wherever they were, And then the next day, sometimes that shirt might make it onto the back of a chair, but often as not, it didn't. And then the next day he would get up, he would get up and put the same shirt on and the same pair uh, of pants and he'd go right back off to work. Now, I'm a nosy person by nature. So I had observed this happen for quite a while. And so I took a peek inside his locker. Inside that man's locker hung brand new uniforms. By brand new, I mean they were clean, they were starched, they still had the... They still had the cellophane on the outside from where they'd come from, the dry cleaners, hanging in his locker. Now, I told you I'm nosy, so I had to go on and ask the next time. I said, man, I just got to know. You got, you got clean, brand-new uniforms hanging in your locker. Why in the world do you put on that old uniform every single day and go back to work in that same old uniform? And what he said, I have never forgotten. He told me that he only wore the other clean pressed uniforms when he knew that he was going to be inspected. But the rest of the time, he just preferred wearing his old uniform. It was good, it broke in, and it was comfortable. I believe that that is an accurate illustration that represents the warning that the Apostle Paul gives to these Ephesian believers and to you and to me as well. You see, we must beware of becoming too comfortable in our old clothes. 
In fact, he says that we are to put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and to put on the new man. In other words, on the cross, Jesus Christ purchased for us a new uniform that we are to put on. It is not to remain in our closet, only to be worn when we think someone is going to inspect us. Rather, it is to be put on and worn every day of our lives. The old uniform, the old way of living is no longer appropriate for a believer. That is why he tells us that we must walk worthily. Paul goes on to flesh out what all that means for us in the rest of the book of Ephesians. I'd tell you to go home and read it. Go home and read the, go home and read the whole book. It's good. I commend it to you. But I want to show you how Paul fleshes this out. He doesn't just leave us hanging and go, well, what, how's that supposed to look in my life? What is that supposed to be? How am I supposed to act? He goes on and tells us, look at verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to those ears and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness wrath anger clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are, all, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul's point is that believers have a new identity based upon their relationship to Christ. And when people learn Christ, God makes them a new creation. That doesn't mean that someone simply learns about Christ, as I said, but rather they come to know Him personally. He becomes their Savior and their Lord. And therefore, their lives are shaped by Him. And what results is that that person's identity is changed once they come to faith in Christ. And that new identity necessitates a change of thinking and in our behavior, which is why Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It is why he says in Romans 12 verse 2, you do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Author and professor Michael Horton has written this. He says, the gospel is not good instructions. The gospel is not good, a good idea. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is an announcement of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And this is what God has done. 
He has given us life. And not just any kind of life, but an abundant life that has purpose and meaning and is filled with joy. Not one that is, is empty and futile and meaningless. He has accomplished this by dying in our place, absorbing the wrath of God against our sin, and, why, and then also transferring his righteousness to us. Christ died so that we might be clothed in his righteousness, and through faith we have put him on. And therefore we must walk worthily. And that's what leads me then to my First sermon in a sentence of 2020 and this decade. And it's this. Believers are called to leave behind the lifestyle we led prior to faith in Christ. And to allow the Holy Spirit to change our thinking and conform our lifestyle to our new identity. You know, as we embark upon this new year, we who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ... We need to recommit ourselves to taking off our old clothes. Taking off the old self that we once were. The old way of living that has now become obsolete in light of the new life that Christ has secured for us. And we need to put on the new clothes. We need to put on the new uniform. We need to embrace the new life that is ours in Christ. And commit ourselves to live accordingly to the teaching and the direction of the Holy Spirit. We've got just enough time for one last Navy story, and I promise I won't share any more because you've pretty much heard all the good ones right now today. The rest aren't worthy of repeating. On my last day of boot camp, we were putting on our dress white uniform. If you've seen that uniform before, we were in, we were in Orlando. It was... It was in the middle of summer. They didn't put the blue ones on us. They put the white ones on us. Thank the Lord. And so we were trying to figure out how to wear that thing. And if you'll notice, the old white Cracker Jack uniform would go around and have the big cape in the back is what I called it. And then around the front, you'd have the kerchief that come and it had a square knot and the two sides would come down. And we were fiddling with those two sides trying to see how to tie that thing so that we got them lined up just perfectly. And we were all working so hard and we were trying to get the last little bit of shine on our shoes and get our belt because we were seeing all of our people and we're going to graduate and we were putting this on. And Same heels, same shoes, same man. Walking up and down that barracks with an inspector's eye fidgeting with us, looking at us and coming up and figuring things out and making sure we were right. Because as he said, when you walk out these doors, you represent me. Because I've been the one instructing you all this time. In fact, he stopped us and he said these words to us. He said, gentlemen, Today you will leave these barracks as sailors in the United States Navy. And that uniform that you are wearing has been worn by countless sailors before you, some of whom died while they were wearing it. And therefore, gentlemen, do not dishonor that uniform. When you leave here today wearing it, do so knowing that you are representing not only yourself, but those who have worn it before you. 
and you are representing the entire United States Navy. Listen, here's what I want you to know. If your testimony is that you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you have by, by the Holy Spirit's testimony, you have put on Christ. You now stand before God in the righteousness of Christ, not in your own. You have been clothed in his righteousness. And because that is the case, you can rejoice today. But brothers and sisters, allow that rejoicing to also fuel you into walking out these doors, representing the Lord Jesus Christ with everything that you have in him, recognizing that you are the representative, you are the ambassador for Christ that God has called you to be. You no longer wear the old clothes of who you once were. You now wear the righteousness of Christ. Go forth and live because Paul says it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. That is your testimony if you are a believer. Live your life in such a way that you represent the Lord Jesus Christ with all of the fullness that the Holy Spirit leads you into. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God and it is for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have sent your son Jesus to purchase our freedom, to breathe life into our dead bodies, and that you have given the righteousness of Christ to us, not because we've earned it, but specifically we have not earned it. We, there's nothing we could do to You've given it to us. I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that we would bring glory to you. If there's one here today who's searching for life, who wants to find life, I pray that you would be there for them, that they would seek you while you may be found, call upon you while you are near, that they would come to understand that apart from you there is no life, that they would trust in you to be their Lord and Savior. I pray for the rest of us that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction into our lives about areas and things in our lives that we refuse to let go of that are a part of our old nature. Your Holy Spirit desires for us to cut ties with those things and to become like you. I pray that that would be something that comes as a result of today's sermon. Help us to, to be willing by, your, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to repent and to embrace that which you desire for us to be. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.